Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Can we pretend something this morning? (laughs) Can we pretend that it's just you and me (laughs) sitting around a table and having a conversation? And I'm just going to pour out the burden that God's been putting on my heart because this isn't like any other message I've preached. Um, (laughs) I've got three pages of side notes. (laughs) They couldn't fit anywhere logically in the message. And God's been putting a burden on my heart. And I've spoke to uh, several of you in the congregation over the past few months and, and have gotten the same feeling uh, that the Holy Spirit is putting up, uh, building up a burden in our heart, but we don't know what to do with it. And we want to do something. We want to say something. We want to shout something. But we don't know uh, what. And we don't know when. And we don't know where. And God's, God's built that up in my heart. And it was a year ago that, that I preached a word uh, in a series called Unshakable. And it was talking about the unshakable kingdom of God. And that was before the pandemic and before all the things that have transpired in this last year and, and what we're seeing now going on in our, in our country and in our government and throughout the world. And we're seeing things happening of uh, religious freedoms in our country looking like they're being attacked and eroded. Uh, but even, even taking that off the table, we're seeing uh, atrocities that have been happening in our own nation for decades and decades, but they're just not right in front of our face and we're blind to them and uh, from abortion to uh, sex trafficking to and it's not just in our country but throughout the world and and we see these things and and we have a burden for them but we don't know what to do and I've been crying out to God saying Lord what do we do and this morning and and for the next few weeks we're going to be just settling in in John chapter 6 uh, and, and the thing that we're to do is to totally fall at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because there's nowhere else to go. There's no one else we can cry out to. And I love that song that we uh, just sang at the very end. And I didn't know they were going to be singing that song. But, but our God is a mighty fortress. And yes, there is an enemy that is in this earth today that, that we're still fighting. And the Word tells us that He came to do three things. To kill, steal, and destroy. And He's the Father of lies. And He does all those things extremely well. And we look around and we, we see these things. And there's a few things I just want to mention. And it's not, to, it's not just to bring us to a down position or to uh, feeling like there's no hope. But it's just to kind of show what we're facing and what this enemy of ours is doing. Not only in our nation, but in the world. This last week, uh, our house passed something called the Equality Act. I don't know if, you, if you've been watching the news or read anything about, about that. You may not have heard about it at all. Um, but it passed in the House by uh, 224 votes to 206 votes. And there were three Republicans that joined uh, the Democrats. Representative Tom Reed from New York, John Cato from New York, and Bar- Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania uh, were the three Republicans that joined them. And it would be an amendment to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And among other things, it would make abortion a civil right. 
and it would require government-funded abortions, and it would make any attempt to restrict abortion or funding for abortion discrimination in a criminal act. So you couldn't, if you were to try to speak against the funding of abortion by the government, that would be discrimination in a criminal act in and of itself. It removes any exemption or ability for medical personnel to refuse to perform or be involved in these types of activities based on their faith. They would have to perform them if their employer required it or they could be fired or sued or even uh, criminally prosecuted. It also uh, takes away all uh, religious liberty for any type of of, uh, religious exemption in those cases. Uh, if we were to speak out against that or against the sexual orientation or things of those natures, all of those would, would now be protected under civil rights and, and there would be no religious exemption for those things. It is expected to have a tough time uh, making its way through the Senate and I, I implore you to be praying uh, that it will not make it through the Senate, but President Biden has, says, has said if it makes it to his desk, he will sign it. It takes away parental rights for minor children. A preteen could be taken away from their parents if they refuse to allow the child to have gender-altering drugs or surgeries. And it wouldn't, again, it wouldn't allow medical personnel to refuse to perform those things based off of their conscience or religious uh, views. It's actually already happened in Ohio. A child was taken away from their parents because they would not, and a minor child, um, to, to do those kind of procedures. Sarah Kramer with the Alliance Defend Fund summed it all up, the whole act, in this statement. She said, essentially, the Equality Act gives people of faith an ultimatum. Change your faith-based practices or face government punishment. Another description of the Equality Act is that it is a club to punish dissent. And so, again, this hasn't passed the Senate yet. It hasn't been signed into the law. It did pass the House. Um, but whether it passes or not, we are living in a time where if, if we're not civilly and legally liable at this point, we're already socially liable. How many people have said something online or seen something said online and you just get, you know, hammered for um, your whatever your uh, phobia, you know, may be? Because you're trying to, to preach the truth or speak the truth. There was a, another pastor I was listening to uh, just yesterday, and he said uh, he, he's a mega church pastor and has, I think it was like a half million followers. And he said that he'd started an experiment, and we're going to see that, that Jesus basically did the same thing in his ministry in John chapter 6. But he said, um, I decided I was going to post some unadulterated, just clear, plain biblical truth. And he said he could watch his his followers drop. It'd be like 10,000 gone, 15,000 gone. Just people walking away because of a truth he had spoken. And I, I grew up as a child thinking and, and believing that, you know, we might be near, uh, nearing the end times and felt like there would probably be some time in my lifetime that we would experience persecution for our religious beliefs and for proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. I never in my wildest dreams thought there might be a day where we would be persecuted for saying that there are two genders, a man and a woman. Saying something as plain as that now is taboo and can get you silenced. And uh, there was... Uh, a man in, in California that was fired, he made a, I'm not even sure what the symbol is, but basically it's like an okay symbol, but he was a, he's a Hispanic man, a, a dumpster driver, and 
he was making that symbol and somebody, but he was like telling somebody okay or something like that. And a picture got posted on the internet. He was fired from his job because that was a, a racist or, or white supremacist symbol or something like that. Even though he said, he was like, I'm not racist. That was not what I was doing. So, you know, somebody asked me something. I was saying, okay, none of that mattered. You know, he, he had been uh, canceled, you know, in our, in our new, newly developed cancel culture. There, there's so much more than, than just what might happen from those legal ramifications. We're going to get into the Word and what Jesus did and the fact that um, He didn't care if people hated Him. He was the most loving human being and, and, and also fully God that has ever walked on the face of the earth and He was absolutely hated and killed and crucified because of the truth that He spoke. So it has nothing to do with love or hate. It has to do, if we speak the truth, there is an enemy that is seeking to devour and destroy anyone that speaks and proclaims the truth in the Word of God. I started looking at some of these numbers, and I just want to share a little bit. It's, it's really disturbing, and it was far more than I ever could have imagined. Um, in the United States, many of you probably know this number, but since Roe versus Wade passed, we're, we're nearing 62 million babies that have been aborted. And that is a huge number. There was, there was 6 million Jews uh, that were uh, killed and murdered in the Holocaust. And my wife and I were at the two-year anniversary of our trip to Israel this month. And, and I was recalling that trip. And one of the places that we went was to the Holocaust Museum. And there was a video playing that I wish <laughs> beyond all uh, wishes that I had not seen. Because you can't unsee it. There were, there were bulldozers, bulldozing bodies of people that had been slaughtered. And there were six million of those. Well, in the United States, we've had 61 million innocent children that have been killed, but we don't see them. There's no video of the bulldozers because it's all hidden. It's under the covers. It's not seen. And I looked and, and found on the this isn't this isn't hidden. It's not um, covered up. You can go to the World Health Organization, and they are saying there are an estimated forty to fifty million abortions a year worldwide, and that in the last fifty years there's been an estimated two billion abortions. That's over twenty five percent of the current world population but we don't know because we don't see it. It's hidden. It's under the covers. In Genesis chapter 4.10, it says, The Lord said, and this is, this is God talking to Cain after he killed Abel. It says, The Lord says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. In Hebrews 12, and we're going to read another part of Hebrews 12 in just a minute, but in Hebrews 12, verse 24, Jesus, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus Christ is crying out to the Father. 
In Revelation 6, 9 through 10, it says when he opened the fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witnesses. And they had borne and they cried out with a loud voice saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There will be a judgment. John 5.22, Jesus said that it says the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus Christ will judge one day and there will not be one innocent life, one uh, drop of blood that was shed that will not be accounted for. And, and I say all that, and again, not to just bring some downer because the truth is this is what we think about and we think, what can I do? What can I say? And it feels like there's nothing that we can do and there's nothing that we can say. But what we can do and what we can say is what God tells us to do and what God tells us to say. Two weeks ago, Pastor Dell preached a, a sermon about Peter walking on the water and that's in John 6 as well. And we're going to get to that. But he said, Lord, command me to come. And Jesus said, come. And that's been my cry and I've just said, God, call us to come. And that's what I've sensed in the body of Christ, that the Holy Spirit is building up this anticipation, this, this sense of urgency. And we know that he's about to call us to come, but he hasn't called us yet. And we're just waiting and we're waiting and we're holding. But when he says, come, we're going to stand up and come. And it doesn't matter what persecution we're going to face or what we're going to go through because we're going to stand up for what God calls us to do and we'll speak the word that He calls us to say. Proverbs 31, 8-9 says, Speak up for the people who have no voice, for the rights of all the misfits. Speak out for justice. Stand up for the poor and the destitute. But there's nothing in the Word of God or anywhere else that says that when we do that, we're going to be protected from, from hate and from retribution and from imprisonment and from being killed. Jesus Christ wasn't. John the Baptist wasn't. They proclaimed the Word of God. Prophet after prophet after prophet were killed because they did exactly what God told them to do. All we can do is what He calls us to do. And we have to come to Him and fall at His feet and nowhere else and say, God, we know that You are the only one that we can come to. You're the only one that we can go to. We can cry out to You for justice and know that the day will come, whether in our lifetime or in decades to come, but the day will come and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Hebrews 12, 26 and 27, and this was in the message, uh, what the whole series was based on before, but it says, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. We are seeing everything in this world and in this earth that can be shaken, shaken. And none of it will remain, but the kingdom of God, in verse 28, it says, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken and it will not be shaken. Not one stone of the kingdom of heaven will fall off another.
We didn't know what 2020 was going to bring, and we're getting a glimpse of what 2021 might have to offer. We're seeing in January, there was a a Pew Research poll that said 25% of Protestant churches are closed right now. Some of those are in states that, that aren't allowing them to open, but many of them are in states that they're just choosing not to open. We have to fall on Jesus and trust that he is, has the way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we look around and we see all these things and it can be scary, uh, but the only way it's going to be scarier, the only way that's going to cause fear to be in us is if we take our eyes off of Jesus. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And in John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We have no reason to fear if we put everything on Jesus We're going to be looking at John 6, and the primary verse is John uh, 6, verse 68, and you can see it there. It's Simon Peter's response to a question that's asked of him. Actually, it's asked of all 12 by Jesus, and Peter's response is, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter has a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. I want to recommend to you that you read this whole chapter maybe several times as we go through this series of John 6 and also the passages that it references. Jesus talks about the manna uh, that, that the children of, of Israel received when they were in the Exodus, and that's in Exodus chapter 16. Read that, and you could read the other uh, passages of the Gospels that talk about the different accounts of the story. All of John 6 happens in a 24-hour period. It transpires in two days. Normally, when we would teach and preach these messages, we would, we would break it up and there'd be a message on just Jesus feeding the 5,000 or as Pastor Darrell preached on the message of, of Peter walking on water or then the message that, that Jesus delivers the next day. But all three of these things happen in one chapter and in one 24-hour period. We often think that all these things are spread out over weeks or months or even years, but many of the things that are in the Gospels happen in a very short period of time. John, in John chapter 21 and verse 25, even said uh, that he supposes that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written if they wrote down everything that Jesus did. We could spend a year just on John chapter 6 and still not dig out everything that could be gleaned from that one chapter. If you're not there yet, turn to John chapter 6, and these verses won't be on the screen, but they're all in the same chapter, so you can flip to them pretty easy. John 6 verse 2 tells us that the only reason the crowd was following Jesus at all was because they had seen the signs that he was doing to the sick. They knew he could work miracles and perform signs. That's the only reason they were following him to begin with. And then verses 1 through 15 recount uh, Jesus performing the miracle of feeding 5,000 plus people from five barley loaves and two fish. And verse 15 says Jesus left because he knew they were going to try to make him king. Who better to make king than the guy who can make free bread? We won't ever have to work again. We don't have to farm again. The guy just fed 5,000 with a couple loaves of bread. 
And Jesus said he knew within his heart they were going to make him king, so he withdrew. And this is when uh, he withdraws and he sends the disciples ahead and they're going to run into the storm and Peter's going to walk on water. And that's recounted in John that same chapter, verses 16 through 21. And then we get to the next day. In verse 22 through 25, the crowd is trying to figure out where Jesus went. Because they knew the disciples had left. They didn't see Jesus leave with them. Other boats had gone, but Jesus wasn't on any of those. And they were looking for him. So they got on boats and went to the other side. And when they found him, they, the first question they ask is, how did you get here? How did you get to this side? Because we didn't see you get on any of the boats. But Jesus doesn't even answer their question. He just says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Like, you just want another free meal. That's the only reason you're here. In verse 29, Jesus said, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. And then the people want to know, what sign will Jesus do today? Yet, (laughs) it's in one day. Yesterday, these people got bread multiplied from five loaves and two two fishes. And today they're saying, what are you going to do for us today? And if you show us a sign today, we'll believe. What about what what you did yesterday? That's not enough. They don't even try to hide it. So they're not getting the bread they want, so they tell Jesus a story. After they ask him what work or sign he'll perform, they remind him, in case he didn't know, that their fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And they said, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're like kind of prodding them, you know, hey, remember Moses got bread. You gave us bread yesterday. Can you give us some more bread today? If you do it today, we'll believe. And Jesus responds that it wasn't Moses who gave the manna, but God. And then Jesus adds, it is God who gives the true bread from heaven. And Jesus is talking about himself. He says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And they know exactly what he's saying when he uses those words, I am. He's going back to Moses when Moses said, who do I say sent me? And God said, tell him, I am sent you. Jesus is making himself equal to God because he is equal with God. And he says, I am the bread the Father has sent down from heaven. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But you have seen me, and you still don't believe. You saw me multiply the bread yesterday, and you still don't believe. In verse 38, Jesus reminds them and us that he came not to do his will, but the Father's will. Everything that he said and everything that he did was the will of the Father. And the people grumbled at what he had to say because he was claiming to be God and because he was talking really weird about bread and his flesh. And then in verse 47 through 51, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am, again, I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And this along with the rest that he had shared through verse 58 offends most of them. Not just the crowd, but most of his disciples. Jesus had many more disciples than the twelve that were following him. And it says in verse 66 that most of them left and no longer followed him. If this were today, they all unliked it. Jesus went from five million followers to twelve in an instant because he spoke the truth of the Father unapologetically. And he didn't chase a single one. And this is when Jesus asked the question. And he asked it to all the disciples, but thankfully the spokesperson, Simon Peter, spoke up and answered for the crowd. In verse 67, Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Are you going to leave me too? You've seen what I've done. You've walked with me just like the others. Are you guys about to bail? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have, all, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's another place where Peter gets a revelation like this. And Jesus says, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, the, the flesh has not revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit. In this case, he doesn't get any compliment. Jesus says, because Peter's speaking for the group. He's saying, we, where else would we go? We believe. And Jesus' response is, no, there's one of you that doesn't believe. And he's speaking uh, of, of the one that will betray him. Judas. He knows the truth. But Judas, ironically, doesn't walk away. He sticks around. But only because he has work left to do. One of the questions we have to answer this morning is, are we going to go or are we going to stay? There's a lot, we can look around our nation, around the world today, and see a lot of people going. The bar on Christians is being raised. We can't stick around as easy as we could before and, and not offend anybody. We're not probably too far off from just being here is going to be offensive to many. In case, in some cases it is. You go to, uh, we're not, not in Lampasas, but right now, just uh, churches who are just meeting right now are being derided because of, uh, you know, being so dangerous. That how dare you meet and gather together uh, because somebody might get sick. And we're just thinking about the good of everybody. But God has called us to be His people and to proclaim His word regardless of the circumstances and regardless of what happens. And Peter finally gets that revelation. And you've got to think now from Peter's perspective, again, thinking of this 24-hour period. Yesterday, he was one of the guys handing out the bread that was multiplying every time he handed it out and the fish multiplying every time he handed it out. And he was one of the ones that gathered the extra baskets of food that was left over. And then he was one of the ones in the boat when Jesus sent them over and, and they thought they were all going to die in the storm. But Jesus comes. And not only does Jesus come, he says, Lord, if it's you, call me to come. 
And Jesus says, come. And he walked out on the water. And then he sinks because he looked. And Jesus lifts him up. And they get back in the boat. And they finish going after the, the storm is calmed. And they all saw this happen. And I, and I have to imagine that Peter then had a sleepless night. I mean, if you walked on water, do you think you'd be a little jazzed, you know? <laughs> Have a little adrenaline pumping? I don't think you'd go back home and, you know, lay down on your mat and go quick to sleep. And now it's the next day, and Jesus is sharing this message about the bread of life, the bread from heaven. And Peter's remembering what happened yesterday and what happened last night, and he gets it. He has a revelation, and he says, I get it. You're the bread of life. You're the one that came down from heaven. Where else could we go? There is nowhere else to go. I'll follow you wherever you go. And he realized what Jesus was saying about the manna. And if you go and read Exodus 16, you'll see that God was providing them manna every single day. It was a daily provision. And if they, if they got too much, it would go bad. They couldn't save it for the next day. It would rot. The only day they could get more is when this, the day before the Sabbath. They could gather enough for two days, and it would last for two days. But it was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and the bread of life that comes down from heaven. But Jesus Christ was the true bread. And every single day, they had to be totally, 100% dependent on the bread, the manna that came down from heaven. And they were, but they didn't get it. And then Jesus now is teaching this and telling them this, and they don't get it. And almost everyone turns and walks away. But Peter had a revelation of who Jesus Christ was. And he says, I get it. I'm going to totally depend on you. Where else could we go? And we find ourselves now, once again, as the body of Christ, and and like so many have, and prophets and followers of Christ have throughout history, again and again and again, we're at a place where it's not going to be easy to follow Him. And it may be costly to follow Him. And Jesus is asking us, Are you going to go or are you going to stay? And we have to make our choice. And as I I shared all those other things, like I said, it wasn't just to try to to bring us down or or show us how horrible the world is right now. Because God is still on His throne and everything that He has said is going to happen. And and He's defeated the enemy. Like the song that we sang, the enemy has already been defeated. It's done. The work is done. But we find ourselves in the middle. And that's where that burden comes from. And we feel the Holy Spirit uh, building up and us feeling the need to do something. But if we just go out and do something on our own, we're going to be walking away from Him. We have to hear His voice. We have to hear Him call us out on the water. But I believe that through the Holy Spirit and through the body of Christ throughout the world, not just in the United States, but that word is building up and that anticipation for what God is going to do is building up and we're just waiting for the word. And when he says, come, we're going to come. And when he says, stand, we're going to stand. And when he says, proclaim, we're going to proclaim. But it has to be from him. It has to be from him. 
for me, I, I was talking about Pastor Rob, the decision's been, the, the other decisions that I could think of in the future are the easy ones. If they were going to say today, if you say uh, there's only two genders and a man is a man and as a woman's a woman, they're going to come and arrest me and take me away. Lock me up. That's an easy one. The laws have changed. Everything's been done. I have no choice, but I am going to proclaim the word of God. It hasn't changed and it never will. That's the easy decision. But what do we do now? Right now, I'm not going to be arrested. Right now, no one's coming for me yet, but the day may come. So what do we do now? We fall at the feet of Jesus Christ because he is the bread of life. He is the only truth. He is the only way, and he's the only place we have to go. So 100%, we fall at his feet and say, God, you cry out. The blood of the lost are crying out. You're the judge. You avenge. You do what only you can do, and you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. But until I hear your word, we're going to wait and we're going to listen. And when you speak, we will move. And God has shown over and over and over through his word. It only takes one man. It only takes one word. It only takes lifting a stick over water to part the Red Sea. And Jesus could have come when David was on the throne or when Solomon was on the throne and Israel was at its peak, but he came under Roman occupation and he didn't change the government. He just came and spoke the truth and he was hated for it. And the person, John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way for him was killed and Jesus Christ was killed and persecuted. And they killed all the babies in Bethlehem because they thought Jesus might be there. There was bad things happening, but we kind of gloss over and just look at the, the nice stories and spread them apart and forget what else was going on. And Jesus just did what the Father told him to do and just said what the Father told him to say. And it was enough. And it was enough to defeat the enemy once and for all. And it's done. But he's continuing the work with us. I'll close with these two passages. Jesus said in John 15, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Isn't that what the world is saying right now? If we just want love. If you just love each other, we'll all be okay. And that's our commandment. Jesus Christ told us to love one another. But he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. But then in verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were one of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. No one has loved like Jesus loved. No one will ever be able to love like Jesus loved. And the world hated him for it. The enemy hated him for it. And he came to destroy him for it. And Jesus says, we're not going to be any better off. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And Jesus' response to that hate in Luke 23:34, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus said that when we're taken before the synagogues and rulers, that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. 
that's where we find ourselves today, that anticipation of what do we say, what do we do, and we have a promise from Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit will tell you. And I believe without a doubt, we're not going to miss it. We're not going to miss it. He wouldn't let us. And I will, in the next couple messages, I don't know how it's all going <laughs> to fit together, but I know we're going to be looking at some of these men like Gideon, and he was hiding from the Assyrians in a, in a vat trying to you know, sift the wheat because he was afraid. And God called him and said, you're going to, Gideon, mighty man of valor, you're going to deliver my people. Moses thought his life was washed up. He was out in the desert. And God came to him. But what I see today in the body of Christ is not a bunch of Christians hiding in the dark. I see the ones that are left, the ones that are coming out, is a lot of Christians with the Holy Spirit just bubbling up inside and we're crying out to God and say, just tell me where to go. Just tell me what to say. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But God came and didn't miss the mark when he had to go and say, stand up, Gideon. You're a mighty man of valor. I need you to stand up and do my work. And he still accomplished what he was going to do. Moses argued and argued and argued till it says God got furious with him because he was saying, please, God, send someone else. And I feel like we're surrounded by a body of believers that's saying, God, send me. Call me to come on the water and I'll step out. If, we're, if that's our heart, if that's the place of the body of Christ, we don't have anything to worry about. God is going to deliver His people and every promise that He has made is going to be true and done and not one thing is going to not happen that is supposed to happen. But that doesn't mean we're going to not be persecuted or we're not going to be arrested or we're not going to whatever. Do what you can. He says, don't worry about the people who can take your life but not touch your soul. We don't have anything to be afraid of. The kingdom is not shaking. The kingdom is firm. Jesus Christ is firm. We just have to fall at his feet. And, and all I can say to you is decide. Are you going to go or are you going to stay? I'm going to stay. <laughs> and I'm going to wait and see what he tells us to do. And then I'm going to do it regardless of what the consequences may be. Will you bow with me as we pray? Dear Holy Father, we just thank you for your word. Not only do we thank you for the written word, we thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came down from heaven to be our life, to be the way, the truth, and the life, Father, that all men could come to you, to the Father, through him, and not anyone would be able to come to you any other way. Father, and we come to you and cry out, I cry out like Peter, and I pray the body of Christ is crying out, Lord. We have nowhere else to go. There is no one else we can go to but you, and we fall at your feet, Lord. We cry out and join the voices of the innocent, Lord, of every life through every atrocity that has happened, Lord, in our nation and throughout the world, Lord, and we cry out with their blood, crying out that your justice would be done and your will would be done and your righteousness would come and the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you and you alone are Lord.
Father, we give you all glory and all honor and all power, Father. And I just proclaim to you this morning that the body of Christ, this body here in Lampasas at New Covenant Church, we're waiting on you. Give us the word, Lord. Open our ears to hear your voice and our eyes to see what you're doing. And we will join with you and proclaim the words that you're speaking. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, In the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 38. You almost got there this morning. You almost got there. If anyone is ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation, Jesus was talking about him and his time over 2,000 years ago. God's word is timeless. Guess where we are? We're in an adulterous and sinful generation right now. If anyone's ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. Don't be ashamed of who you are, brothers and sisters. Do what Pastor Chris says. Read chapter 6 in John this week. Read Exodus 16. Familiarize yourself with these passages and the words he's talking about because this is pivotal for what we're fixing to face. I told the first service this morning, I feel like, and somebody told me later, I feel like I'm in the movie Braveheart. Everybody's lined up on one side of the field and the the enemy is coming from the other side and the captain's just standing there going, hold, hold. Everybody's like, no, no, I want to go. I want to hit somebody. I want to do something. Like, no, hold. That's where we're at right now. Don't jump out there on your own. You wait. God will call us all together. Okay? God will call us all together for His glory. In his time. Let me go over a few announcements this morning before you leave. Get out your calendars. There's a lot to go over. March is going to be busy. Okay. Starting Friday, March 5th. Common grounds. Hours of operations will change to 7 to 11. Don't show up at 530. Won't coffee. It won't be there till 7. Okay. Friday, March 5th. Saturday, March 6th. The very next evening at 7 o'clock. There will be a throne room encounter right here. You need to come and spend time in the presence of God the Father. It's a beautiful time just to kind of reset from the week and get ready for Sunday morning. That's on Saturday, March 6th. Uh, There will be youth here tonight from 5 to 6.30. Woo-hoo! Saturday, March 13th, men's breakfast, 7 a.m., fellowship hall right over here. Come spend time with your brothers. And then everybody's favorite. It's coming. I'm warning you right now. Sunday, March 14th, daylight savings time. Oh, we're going to spring ahead. It's okay. I'm going to get everything back right. And a new covenant exclusive. No, Nobody else knows about this, but you guys. I'm on the first service because they were here first. April 24th and April 25th, we're going to have a very special guest here at New Covenant. Saturday night, April 24th, there's going to be a concert with Phil Joel from the Newsboys, internationally acclaimed Christian contemporary band. He's going to be here. He's going to play for us. And then the next Sunday morning, he's going to speak to y'all. So get ready. Put it on your calendar, April 24th and 25th. Set that aside. Pencil it in. Okay, save the date. 24th is for you. And and we can come too if we want. We can come. We can come. All right. All right. Y'all be blessed. Have a great week and more information to come. Thank you for listening to this week's message.